rainy morning. Rainy, but not cold. Thank you, Jesus. Well, uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Lauren, and I just want to give you welcome you, first of all, to Faith Church. Um, we're excited that each and every one of you is here to worship the Lord and discover more of Him this morning. I wanted to let you know about a few things going on in the life of the church and opportunities for you to plug into what's going on in the kingdom. First, our Faith Kids Christmas Party is this Wednesday at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall, and we would love for your kids to be there. Um, we just ask that you register them. Um, it's totally free. I believe there's a QR code in your bulletin, and if not, you can do that on the website, on the homepage at faithstatesville.org. We would love for you to be there. All kinds of fun, Jesus-focused fun for Christmas for our faith kids. Also, our Christmas Eve Eve service, our Christmas Eve evening service, I'm going to put that on the graphic next year, um, is at 7 p.m. So Christmas Eve, Saturday, uh, December 23rd, we'll be gathering right here in the worship center at 7 p.m. to just exalt Jesus, to reflect specifically on his birth and what that meant for us, what that meant for the Father, um, and what Jesus was willing to do for us. Um, so we want to celebrate that together as the body of Christ, Saturday, uh, the 23rd at 7 p.m. right here. And then the very next morning, Christmas Eve morning, which happens to be a Sunday this year, we will gather at our regular time, our regularly scheduled programming uh, at 10 a.m. Sunday morning, Christmas Eve, um, to do more of that, to celebrate and exalt Jesus Christ and um, just thank the Father for the birth of his son. So those are our, our Chris, remaining Christmas things. Um, School of Kingdom Ministry students, if you signed up, you should have received an email from Pastor Charles uh, this last week. If you registered and you did not get that email, please, please, please send us an email at office at faithstatesville.org because we need to know you did not get that email because if you didn't get that email, you won't get future really important emails. But I am so excited to tell you that we have almost 30 students registered for the School of Kingdom Ministry. Like, look around at how large this body is. That is a big deal. We are serious about impacting our community and the world around us for the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ. We are so excited that so many of you have decided to take that, um, that uh, charge from the Lord seriously. And we are so excited to get equipped and make an impact. Um, lastly, this morning... Wanted to let you know, uh, you know, it's the Christmas season. A lot of us are looking for ways to plug into the community and make an impact, um, not just through prayer, not just through um, uh, all the things that we've been learning about, but also financially. And one of the most impactful ways you can do that in Statesville is through the Pregnancy Resource Center. Um, when you leave today, if you'd like, there are packets on the back that look like this on the stool, and it will explain different ways for you um, to give to the Pregnancy Resource Center of Statesville. Um, they are an incredibly impactful organization for both men and women in our community, equipping young families to raise children, to choose life, and then raise children um, in, in biblical worldview. Uh, they equip them pr with practical skills as well as uh, spiritual realities. I will tell you that this is one of the most uh, astounding statistics to me. Last year, the Pregnancy Resource Center uh, saw 98 
uh, abortion vulnerable women come through their doors and 77 of those chose life. Okay. That's a big deal. But then the thing that I wanted to share, I can't find, let's see. The, the national statistic is much, much less than this. Uh, I can't fight it. But what I can tell you is that nine out of 10 abortion-minded women that come into the Pregnancy Resource Center choose life. That's incredible. And we have an opportunity to help increase that impact um, as the years go on. So that's an opportunity for you in the back. I want to let you know about that. All right. Lastly, um, well, if you'd stand with me, we'll get, we'll get our hearts and our bodies and our minds ready to worship. Something really st- has been standing out to me this season in a song that I've heard for 40 years now, um, the song, Oh Holy Night. And in that song, one of the first lyrics in that song is, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's an incredible reality. And I was, I was thinking about this with the Lord and I was like, is there a scripture that, that, that speaks to that? And I, <laughs> John 3.16 came to mind. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We don't think of that verse as a Christmas verse, but that's Christmas. And all the verses that we say are Christmas verses are all the time verses anyway. The point is that God loved you so much that he sent his son to make sure that you could be back with the father. He loved you in your sin. He loved you in your imperfection and he made a way for you to be with him while he's perf- while he is perfect, he made a way for you to be with him and that's what we're celebrating. So would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for hungry people, God. Lord, our hearts cry is to know you. God, some of us in here may be saying, are you even real? Is God even a thing? Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, you would give them a resounding and powerful, absolutely. And I love you. I love you in your sin. And I love you so much. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you come to me. Father, help us wherever we are at, come to you in a more full way. I pray that you would meet with us in a fresh way this morning, Holy Spirit. That you would equip us to love you and praise you in the manner that you're worthy of. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just keep our heads bowed and let's just pray as we sing. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. As we begin to sing, Christmas is a difficult time. Uh, we, we tend to get caught up in tradition more than truth sometimes at Christmas. 
So Father, would you just uh, guard our hearts and minds from the things that we've seen in movies and even been taught and, and even trained up in the church, God, that we might see you rightly, that we might worship you rightly, that we might truly adore you. Amen. All right, come on, faithful ones, let's sing to the Lord.
praise um you know in in so many of these christmas songs we, we talk about the angels and while we do not worship them christmas is the main time that we focus on their activity and we have to realize that when we're singing songs we're not just singing by ourselves we are literally joining with angelic activity that is 24 7 worshiping the king of kings and the lord of lords I don't know what Christmas is for you, but we always want to acknowledge that. For many, it's a joyful time, and for others, it's a difficult season. But it is a season of hope. And it's not just hope for the rich, and it's not just hope for a few people, it's hope for everyone. So let's just sing this morning about that hope.
tried to figure out, I looked on multiple places on Google going, how many Old Testament prophecies are there of the Messiah? There's well up into the hundreds. I think everybody could agree there was more than 300, some said 400 or more. What made me look that up was the song starts and it says it came to pass. And that, that kind of grabbed me. And I was like, Lord, it came to pass. I just started looking, I started looking, I started looking. So believe it or not, in the New Testament, there's, the, there's about an equal amount of it came to pass as there were prophecies in the Old Testament. Because what God says will come to pass. His promises are yes and amen. Whatever he says will come to pass. So let it be in our hearts, Lord, that we can see that the prophecy, all the prophecies of the Messiah came to pass in Yeshua, in Jesus, our Savior. Bow 
and kings knelt in the pain. This is our God, a great and humble King. All glory to the Lord, firstborn majesty.
song that comes out of our mouth. You are worthy of our attention and our focus. You are worthy of our, of our listening ears and our open spirits. You are worthy of all of those things and so much more. Father, I pray that you would, you would still our hearts, that you would quiet our minds, that we would we would meet, continue to meet with you in this reverence and this awe for your glory and your good, Father. Jesus, speak to us. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your spirit illuminating the word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stay standing with me. Here at Faith Church, we do 50 weeks in the Word. Each week, we read one chapter. Every day, we read the same chapter. We uh, memorize one verse, and there's one Bible study. If you're coming to Bible study this week, the Faith Kids are having their Christmas party in the fellowship hall. So we're going to be down this hall right here by the women's bathroom, last room on the left. And I'm going to be teaching on Revelation 21. It's my turn to lead. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, just remember we're up here this Wednesday at, uh, at 6.30. And this week, our uh, verse was James 1.4. And so we had about, uh, I think it got up to about 80 people who said, I'm going to memorize the verse every week. And this is just kind of our time where we uh, say it back. 
uh, for those who chose to memorize it. If you didn't sign up to memorize it, don't feel bad, um, but this is just something we've been doing as a church. So, James 1.4, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1.4, you may have a seat. This morning, we're starting our new message series just for the next, uh, well, four weeks and then a Christmas Eve Eve service. So uh, a little bit of, uh, of time spent uh, in a message series I'm calling Anti-Christmas. And may be sure that you get the mess at the end of Christmas so it's not anti-Christ, but it's anti-Christmas. Miss rebelling against culture. And so we're not here saying that we're uh, against the celebration of the birth of Jesus. We are not, though we acknowledge that uh, it wasn't uh, December 25th. Um, so uh, we're not opposed to selling, celebrating Jesus' birth in this time. His real birthday was probably 7 September 11th, 3 BC. Uh, very cool stuff on that. Um, but uh, we're not opposed to celebrating, but what we are anti is we are anti-Christmas culture. We are anti what this time, this time that, you, that is supposed to be sacred, this time that's supposed to be um, focused on Jesus, we're rebelling against what it has become. And so for our purposes, when I say we're rebelling against Christmas culture, I'm saying that this, we're defining this by the takeover of Christmas from a reverent holy holiday to one of consumerism and all that that brings with it, right? All that, that it brings, uh, the anxiety, the excess. And so over the next few weeks, the things that we're going to be talking about this morning, we're going to talk about excess, what does it mean that this has become a season of excess and how do we uh, rebel against that? Next week we'll be talking about anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety around this season. Uh, and then on Christmas Eve Eve, which is Saturday, December 23rd, my wife announced it this morning, um, we're going to be talking about renewing our focus putting our focus completely on Jesus, especially as we lead up to it. We're going to have a Christmas Eve. Uh, it's just a Sunday service that happens to be on Christmas Eve. And we're going to talk about finding joy. And then on uh, New Year's Eve, th this season of Advent is about waiting, right? Th this is what the, the, the early church would would uh, commemorate. They would commemorate a season of waiting. But in that season of waiting... Right? In that season of waiting, they were also anticipating how we are waiting now for the final return of Jesus. So on New Year's Eve morning, which is the 31st Sunday, it's just going to be a regular service, I'm going to talk about my view on end times and the return of Jesus. Um, if you've listened to me before, it's generally the same, but I've tweaked a few things, and I want to, to let you know um, we're going to stream it, but then you're not going to be able to find it on YouTube, and you're not going to be able to find it on Facebook the day after. I'm debating whether or not we're even going to put it up on the podcast, because I'm going to say some strange stuff. <laughs> and you know, if I'm saying it's strange, it's strange, right? And it's stuff that I'm working out and going through myself, so I don't know that I want it to be out there yet. Um, so that's your incentive to come on Christmas Eve 
or New Year's Eve, excuse me, and, and listen to that. So that's what we're going to be going through in our series. And this morning, as we rebel against excess, we're going to talk about the fact that less is more. And so if you want to turn to Isaiah 58, I'm going to be coming out of Isaiah 58 this morning. And target one, like I said, is excess. And we all have excesses that we don't even realize or understand. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a lighthearted example, but I was golfing uh, back in college with one of my buddies when I used to have time to go out. And, um, you know, we were, we, were, uh, we were poor college kids and we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, we're walking 18 and we don't have a cart and we don't even have pull carts. We're carrying our bags. It gets really tiring. And we used to pack lunch because uh, even at that time, like a $3 hot dog or a $5 burger was going to stretch it. We were already paying, you know, 15 bucks to play before the sun went down. And so we were coming on the, the back nine. We were leaving a whole nine and we were going to 10. And that's usually when I would bust out like a sandwich that I made and we had granola bars. So I took out my sandwich and I started to eat it. And it was my turn to tee off on hole 10, so I just, I set my bag down, I put my sandwich on, and I go to address the ball, and I'm there, and I'm, I'm ready to swing, and I hear from over here, oh my God, that's disgusting. And it was my friend Brian, we called him Boo Boo, but my friend Brian was over here, and I'm like, what? He's like, I bit into your sandwich, and there was so much mayo, it was gross, I was like, that's how much mayo I like on it. It's like, it was like coming out the sides. I was like, why are you eating my sandwich anyways? It's like, I forgot mine and I got hungry. And I was like, give it, give it back to me. And then talking to my wife, I was telling my wife, hey, I remembered this, this memory this week as I was preparing and doing all this. And then she's like, yeah, you do put a lot of mayo on your sandwiches. I was like, no, I, I like it. it. That's how you're supposed to make a sandwich and everybody else is wrong, not me, right? But that's how we feel about our excesses. Like, we have enough and it's okay for us and, and everybody's wrong except for me. I'm, I can uh, choose all of this, right? And, and this time becomes an excess of everything, right? On Black Friday, uh, consumers spent $9.8 billion dollars just in America, on consumer goods, 9.8 billion. That could like overhaul our whole education system. Like that could, that could house homeless veterans for years, right? Take your, take your pet uh, government uh, dependency that you have and say the government should be doing all of this and not the church, the government, whatever that is, 9.8 billion can radically transform it. And Christmas, tends to excel, ex, Christmas excess tends to reveal itself in gift giving, food, and debt. Look, I'm not against gift giving at all. My kids are gonna get presents. My wife might get one or two, right? But we've made an agreement, people. Oh, it's, it's okay, um, right? And, and you might say, what? And, but we overspend. Like how many times were you growing up or if you had kids where you got a present and two weeks later, it's just sitting in a corner of the closet gathering dust, right? We, we overspend on these big things and you'll say, well, the Magi, they brought the most expensive things. 
They bought gold and frankincense and myrrh, and I'm, yes, and they should have. And if you're comparing your Christmas to the birth of the Messiah, God incarnate coming born in a manger, if you're comparing your Christmas to that, you have more problems than just gift giving, <laughs> right? So I'm not, uh, so don't, don't compare the giving of gold and frankincense and myrrh to getting a PS5, right? Or whatever big ticket thing. Right, it reveals itself in food and debt. Right, it seems around Christmas time that that we just are okay with becoming slaves, because the Bible says that a debtor is slave to the lender. And so, when we have and are holding debt, we are slave to somebody. In this case, probably corporation. And so the antidote to excess is to willingly deny yourself certain comforts. To willingly deny yourself certain comforts. And we live in a very individualistic society where it is all about me and what I'm getting and what I'm doing and the gifts that I'm giving and and, uh, these different ways that we just think about ourselves. And we kind of have this mentality, even if we wouldn't want to say it in polite company at church or the impolite company at church, all the church company, right? We wouldn't want to say, well, how dare you tell me to do something that I don't want to do? We all have a little bit of that in us somewhere. And maybe you're talking about, maybe you hear me talking about gift giving. You're like, I have no problems not getting gifts or not giving gifts. I'm good there. Awesome. Well, I'm going to talk about food this morning. I'm going to talk about self-denial this morning. And whatever I talk about that sparks that little, how dare you tell me what to do? First of all, I'm not telling you what to do. Just giving suggestions. But where that thing, where that little bit of you that pops up that says, how dare you tell me what to do, is probably where God wants to tell you what to do and not me. So just keep, keep, keep your emotions in view here. And I'm going to read Isaiah 58. And I'm going to read just verses 1 through 5. Though we'll go a little bit further um, in the message itself. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you've seen it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This is the word of God. And this morning, we are going to talk about fasting and what fasting means and what it entails. We have to understand that food is a problem. It just is. And look, and and here's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't enjoy food. I'm not one of those food is just fuel 
type people. If you know me, I like what the Bible would call rich food. I enjoy bread and oil and wine like the Bible talks about. But food becomes a problem if that's all it ever is. Right? And so when we, when we think about food being a problem, we have to honestly look and notice that it's a spiritual and a physical problem. Right? There, is, there is addiction that is acceptable in food that we wouldn't accept any other place. Okay? Can you go, can you go three days, four days, a week without coffee and not have your mood changed. <laughs> See, I don't drink coffee, so that's like easy for me to like just plunge because I don't drink it. <laughs> but can you? If you can't, you're addicted. Like if you have the, the coffee cup that says, don't talk to me till I've had my coffee, right? And, you're fun, and you think it's funny, right? There's a problem. You can, I know some of you are going to take pictures of your coffee mugs and I'm, uh. we're addicted to sugar because it's in everything. We're addicted to we're addicted to to food in ways that that do not enrich our lives, and it could be just a physical problem. But addiction, a lot of times, is spiritual. Not being able to give something up is uh, spiritual. Um, and so when we talk about fasting, we're, we're saying, look, we acknowledge that, that maybe our relationship with this, this food and what we eat is wrong. And so we'll fast. And fasting is a healthy self-denial of food for a period of time. <clears throat> True biblical fasting is refraining from something that you need, underline need, to understand that God is your source for everything. So you've heard me say it before. If you've never heard me say it, there is no such thing as a biblical social media fast. There's not. Like fasting is not eating food. That's it. So there's no social media fast. And then somebody decided that there was such thing as a Daniel fast where you only eat nuts and vegetables and you don't eat meat because that's what Daniel did. And so they call it a Daniel fast, but it's not actually a fast. Daniel doesn't call that a fast. And in the Bible, fasting is not eating food. If there's, there's no, I'm gonna fast from chocolate. That's not a fast because you're still eating caramel over here because it's your, it's your loophole so you still get your sweets. I know you do it. I know I do it, so... Right? It's, it's not eating food, but it's a healthy self-denial. It's not this, this thing where you beat yourself up or you go to the extreme, but it's this healthy self-denial because abundance in anything, whether it's food, uh, consumer goods, the things that we have, anything can be a direct hindrance to our communion with God. And so we want to self-deny in those places where we need to self-deny. And here's what Isaiah says about fasting. Fasting is a means to engage with God and love others 
rather than a religious duty. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you only fast to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like this, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. I think sometimes we think of religious duty the way that we think of our GPS. I remember um, I had only lived here a short period of time and I was asked to do a graveside service and um, the, the person told me, he said, uh, this is where it's at. And I don't even remember. It's one of the, the, the graveyards that's kind of back out of the way somewhere that way. Uh, no, no, uh, that way, that way, right? Somewhere up that way. And so I just put in my GPS and I put exactly where they told me it was going to be and I'm driving and, and I'm already running a little bit late um, and so I'm driving and it says, oh, you'll be there in 22 minutes and I'm driving and I'm going and it's kind of in the back road so I don't know exactly where I'm going and I'm new and, I, and there's not a lot of cell phone service and I go and I just, I, I just do exactly what it tells me to do and I end up in the wrong place. I'm in this like, not even like a field, but this empty dirt place next to some railroad tracks. And I'm like, this, I don't think this is the right place. I'm new here, but I don't think graveyards look like this in North Carolina. Right? And, then, and then the person, I somehow get some service, and they're like, don't go where your GPS tells you. Go here. And I was like, that would have been good information 30 minutes ago, Andy. But... <laughs> But I got there in time, and it was okay. But this is how we review religious duty sometimes. I'll just do what they say to do, and I'll just do it. I won't think about it. I'll just do it, and it won't mean anything, and I'll just go, and I'll just follow. And then we think that that's pleasing to the Lord, and God's saying, that's not what this is about. And look at what this last sentence says here. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So somehow, in some way, true fasting allows your voice to be heard on high in a way it might not normally be heard. And so when we do things out of religious duty or the extreme, right, the extreme that's happening here. Remember, this is, this is the same, this is, this is like the same time of Habakkuk when Israel's not following and Israel's rebelling and Isaiah keeps warning Israel and then Judah's keep warning these people that, that you're gonna be destroyed. And so they've not only made it just a religious duty, they've actually gone so far as they start oppressing people and they're, they're holding them fast and hitting them with what Isaiah calls a wicked fist. And then he says, if that's the way that you do things, then your voice will not be heard on high. But there's something, there's something in fasting that allows your voice to be heard on high. I can't fully explain it. There's some hints of it in the Bible, but this is what we see. So if you have something that you've been praying for, 
there's something that you've been struggling with, if there's something that you've been wanting and you just feel like God isn't listening, then maybe you fast about it. Maybe you say, okay, I'm just not gonna eat for 24 hours and I'm just gonna drink water. Maybe you can't do that yet, so I'm, just, I'm gonna skip breakfast and lunch and I'm not gonna eat until 3 p.m. and I'm gonna be praying that whole time about whatever's on my heart. Right? There might be a chance that God will hear your prayers in a different way when you fast. Fasting is an act of freedom for yourself and for others. See, he goes on to say after the verses that I read, he says in verse six, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. If there are bonds of wickedness, if you are strapped to a yoke of oppression in your life, maybe you should fast. And then as you do that, you see that you become an impact for to break off the bonds of wickedness and the straps of these oppressive yokes on others because that's what fasting does. The fast for the people of Israel was designed for God to move in, to show himself strong, and for people to get set free. It's an act of freedom. Fasting is identification and help of those in need. The next verse, he says, this is the fast I've chosen. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover them and to not hide yourself from his own flesh? We, we uh, just as, uh, as a psychological part of us, maybe one that doesn't need to be there, but when we, uh, we care about somebody else's needs more when we identify with them. And so, um, you know, if you've ever been around women who start talking about their birth stories, <laughs> like it, man, I, I leave the room. I'm just like, I don't need this. I do not. Or I'll just say, yeah, you know what? I was there. I remember. I was feeling really tired. It was late at night. And then I get kicked out of the room, right? <laughs> but th- th- there's this sense that we, if, if you've had the same uh, injury or sickness that somebody else has had, and they tell you the story, you're like, oh, I know how you feel, and my heart hurts for you. Somebody's gone through uh, difficulty, infidelity in marriage, and you've gone through that, and you hear it, and you, you can say, oh, I know what that person's feeling. Or when you're going through this spiritual desert, and you don't hear God, you don't feel like he hears you, and you're wandering, and somebody else says, I've been through that too. Right? We respond better and easier when we can identify with people, when we can say, I know what that's like. And so I experienced this years ago where I was around, I went to Haiti and I was around kids who were hungry, who maybe got one meal a weekend if they came to church, who only ate at school and didn't eat at home. And at the time I never fasted, so I could not look at them and say, I know what it's like to be hungry. 
But I've, I fast now. And sometimes it's really easy to just do 24 hours. And sometimes after eight hours, I'm like, God, just take me now. <laughs> but I know what it's like to be hungry now. Now, that mind's a temporary condition. But if I know what that temporary condition feels like, and I know that somebody else's might not be as temporary, then maybe my wallet might go the way of my heart. Maybe I want, might want to give something that I wouldn't want to give unless I was able to identify with them. So if you want to identify with someone who is hungry, like Isaiah says here, who is homeless, fast so you know what it's like, you know what they feel like, when they're struggling, right? This is how, you want your heart to grow more like Jesus. Start identifying with the broken and the downtrodden and the poor and the oppressed because that's what Jesus did. But you can only identify with them if in some ways you become like them. And I'll tell you, I'll show you more about that later. So Isaiah writes about fasting And he says amazing things, continuing on. That light will break forth like dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. So there's, I think there's there's scientific backing to the healing that can come from fasting, but I also think that this is spiritual as well. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord is your rear guard when you fast the way that God wants you to fast. You'll call on the Lord, verse nine, you'll call on the Lord and he will answer. You'll cry to him and he will say, here I am. Right? And he says that he will guide you continually in verse 11 and satisfy your desires in scorched places. He'll make your bones strong and you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. All the stuff that's been torn down will be rebuilt. But delight, here's what he says in verse 14. Then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oh, he's, he's telling Israel, he's saying, he's telling the people, just fast. You want things to be right in your land. You want things to be right in your souls and your places where your desires have been scorched and it's like the, 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 the burnt over ashes. Fast. Pursue God. Go rightly. And Jesus comes with the expectation that we're gonna fast. The Pharisees come up to him and they say, look, what's going on? Everybody else fasts. John's people fast. The Pharisees, we fast. We're really holy, so of course we fast. Jesus expects his followers to fast, but not while he's around. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away and then they will fast. So there's this, this sense that Jesus is saying, while I'm here, we're gonna eat food. We're gonna have all of our needs met. Right? That's why, that's why uh, in another place, when the Pharisees are at him again, he says, look, he says, look, 
John the Baptist, he came not eating and not drinking, and you say, look, he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you call him a drunkard and a glutton. So, right, so Jesus has a reputation among at least the Pharisees and the religious that he's eating too much food and he's drinking too much wine. That's his reputation. And then he says, but okay, but this is what we're doing now, but when I'm gone, we're going to fast. And that's why we fast now, because he's still gone. But when he comes back, what's one of the first things we do? We sit at a table. And he brings out the best bread and wine, and he brings out all the good, rich food, and we'll all sit down together, and we'll say, cheers, <laughs> let's go. And I don't think there's going to be forks for like certain stuff. Like, I don't think we're going to be like, oh, 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 isn't this fine and delicious? Mm. I, I'm just, I, I don't know about, I'm going to be like Ralphie in the Christmas story. <laughs> But he's not here yet. And so, at times, we hold back. In one of the earliest writings that we have from the church, it was called uh, The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles to the Nations. We just call it the Didache now. Here's what it says. The earliest writing. Let not your fastings be with the hypocrites. For they fast on the second and the fifth day of the week, but keep your fast on the fourth and on the day of preparation. So they're expecting that early Christians are fasting. And not only that, they're saying, we want your fast to be different from the fast of the Pharisees and the religious, and they do it on these certain days, so you don't do it on those days, you do it on these days. Do it on these certain days. So you can fast. And uh, for them, most of, most of the time, this was just a fast till sundown. Um, but it, it wasn't a full 24 hours, but it, it could be. But um, this is what the early church did twice a week. Twice a week, they fasted. It was built into the discipleship. And um, also in the Didache, when it's talking about baptism, it says that uh, the person getting baptized should fast before they get baptized, right? Fasting was ingrained into the lives of the early Christians. This is all about self-denial. And, and it's, it's about us stepping back and saying, ah, God, I am going to uh, deny myself of things that I want, things that I like, and things that I need so that you become my source for everything. Jesus told his disciples, look, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Fasting. I mean, I, mean I, 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 I don't know how many times I've read that and then just think, 
Well, how do I deny myself? What does that even mean? There's lots of different ways. We'll go over a couple other ways this morning, but fasting is the easiest form of self-denial. You need it. You want it. Don't do it. That's denying yourself. And yes, it gets hard. I, uh, but it's not as hard as going up on a cross. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. In the beginning, it might seem like that, but it's a form of self-denial. Right? And so when we look at the excesses of the culture at this time, when we look at the excesses that are happening with buying presents, with um, having 18 Christmas parties you have to go to before the 25th, with um, all the, the, the consumerism, and it's not even buying or, it's not just the buying and the giving of gifts. That part probably isn't as bad as, as the feelings that you feel like you don't have enough. Like, like we need something else to be, to feel good, to feel better. And I know what this feels like because, you know, have you, you, whatever it is for you, you buy a watch or some shoes or a nice new shirt, you just feel better walking around that day. Contentment is self-denial. Being content with what you have. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. We parrot that promise and it's fine to parrot that promise. But look at what its context is. Don't love money. Be content with what you have. Because God's always with you. So the writer of Hebrews is he saying, look, if you have God, this other stuff becomes trivial. If you have God who ne- if you have Jesus who never leaves you, who never forsakes you, then you don't have to uh, love your money and love your things anymore. You're free from that. You can have them and steward them wisely, but keep yourself free from the love of that stuff. And being content with what you have keeps you from loving money. There are so many things that I've bought because I just want, I want a new version of something old that I had. Like the old version still is fine and it's good. But I just want that new thing. I mean, you realize that this is how they get you, right? Right, the, uh, the, the Christmas culture demands that we be discontent to fuel profits. It demands it. Your phone is six months old. And here's the newest version. And all they did was add an extra little lens for your camera. Your TV... It's only 52 inches. You definitely have room for 60. You're kind of a loser. And girls don't like you. As the kids would say, you have no riz. 
Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's the Oxford English word of the year. You can look it up. All right? You have no riz. Put some Axe body spray on yourself. That's all the riz you need. Open a beer. The party will come to you. Your hair is dry. Your skin is dry. Your face is dry. And soon your soul's going to be dry. Use this and use this and take this pill. It demands that we be discontent. And we have to rebel against this culture. And we have to say, no, what I have is enough. It might not be the newest, it might not be the shiniest, it might not be the best or the brightest, but it's good enough and it's good enough because I have Jesus and Jesus is actually all that I need. So I have all this stuff that I want and it's good enough, but Jesus, I have you and so that's good enough for me. Don't give in to the culture's lie that you need things to be happy or content. But look at what the word says. I will never leave you or forsake you. He's there. Contentment is a form of self-denial. Another form of self-denial because vengeance feels good. Forgiving others is self-denial. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul implies here, that wanting to avenge yourself is being overcome by evil. You are overcome by evil when you want to seek vengeance. And when you seek vengeance, evil has won. And it's because, like I said, vengeance feels good. Somebody hits you, what do you want to do? Hit back. Somebody says something that cuts to your heart, what do you want to do? You want to hurt them exactly the way that they've hurt you because that's easy and it feels, it feeds something in you that feels good. And so especially around Christmas, this is, this can crop up because do you have any fat, fractured family relationships? Like do you sometimes dread going into these family situations because you're like, ah. I just know that this per I know that Uncle Joe's going to be there, and I can't stand him. He doesn't share my exact political views, so I hate him. All they want to do is talk about this, and I don't want to do that. Do you have fractured family relationships? A form of self-denial is to forgive and to walk in forgiveness. And what you do when you forgive is you're saying, God, I'm not gonna seek revenge. I'm not gonna get drawn in. 
I'm going to give it to you. And you know what should be just as satisfying? God, you do whatever you want to them. Do whatever you want with them. And show them your love. Show them your, your power and your goodness and your glory. And then that little part of you is like, but God, if there's some wrath in there, like maybe, maybe some of that. And maybe that's called for in God's economy in that moment, but that's not your choice. So we just say, whatever you want to do, because, th- th- I mean, this is, what, this is what Paul says. He says, no, God's going to deal with them, and there might be some vengeance there, but what you have to do is you have to serve them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Last night as I was leaving the room of my child that I was doing bedtime with, they asked, can you get me a glass of water? And I looked at them and I said, get up and get it yourself. I forgot that I read this verse this week. So if if they ask again tonight, maybe I'll get them something to drink. But, But here's what it says. It says that when you serve them, when you love them, you'll heap burning coals on their head. They, right, that feeling that you want from them by being vengeful and wrathful and angry, they're gonna get that feeling if you love them. Do you have fractured family relationships? Because this is, this is life with Jesus. It's a self-denial life. And here's these verses that I referenced, but I'm going to read now, 58, 11 through 12. And the Lord will guide you continually, and he will satisfy your desire in scorched places, and he'll make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Right, what's happening here in Isaiah is he's talking to them about their physical nation. He's like, you'll rebuild all of the stuff that's been taken away by your enemies. And so when we live lives of self-denial and we're pursuing God, He will satisfy us in a way that makes the excess of the world seems trivial. The feeling that you want from getting the best present, from giving the best things, from buying the most things, right? It pales in comparison to what Isaiah would call to be like a watered garden. You have stuff in your life that's been broken for years and years and years and you don't know how to fix it. God says that there is power in seeking him and he can rebuild the ancient ruins. The stuff that's been ruined in your life for years, he can do it. The breaches in your relationships, the breaches in your walls, right? You can become the repairer of the breach. You can be the one that starts a foundation of many generations. 
And when that happens, all this other stuff, it's just background noise. This is life with Jesus. And remember, I, I said just a few minutes ago that we, we, we love better, we serve more when we identify with somebody. This is exactly what Jesus did. To know, so you can know that Jesus loved you. He came and identified with us when he took on human flesh and limitations. So in the same way, it's better for me when I identify with somebody, we can know that Jesus loves us because he wanted to identify with us so much that he left the throne of glory and came to be born as a crying baby to take on all the limitations that we had that he, has no, he had no concept of in heaven. He didn't know what it was like to be hungry. He didn't know what it was like to be tired. He didn't know what it was like to be thirsty. And yet he experiences all of those things. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Every weakness that you feel, every part where you are hurting and you say, God, I just don't have the strength there. Jesus can look at you because he came and he can say, I know what you feel right now because in some way I felt it too. And I can give you the answers. I can give you the hope. I can give you the love that you're looking for. Because he came, we can live like the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the good news of great joy is for you because you're part of all. You're part of all of it, right? All of humanity that has existed from that night on, and even before. But it's for all people. The good news of the gospel of Jesus, that he comes as king. Though in the form of a baby, he comes as king. That's good news, no matter who you are. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Have you ever been in a place where, like, Jesus, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what I feel in your anger and your angst and your hurt. You're like, could you ever know? And off in the distance, maybe in the back of your head, you should start to hear a little baby crying. One wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Because his answer is, yeah, can. See, Jesus came and lived a spirit-empowered life full of self-imposed limitations so that we would know it's possible to live spirit-empowered lives with all our limitations. This is reality for those who call themselves Christians, that we can live a life 
that looks and resembles the life of Jesus in word and deed and action because he's given us the Holy Spirit. There's a phrase uh, or there's a a saying, and I don't know who to attribute it to, um, but it says that he became like us so that one day we can be like him. And that's what happens. is that he became like us so that now we can begin to resemble what he looked like when he was on earth, what he did when he was on earth, who he was when he was on earth. And then in some great, great gift to us, we become like him as he is right now with resurrected lives and bodies and access to the Father and Jesus is the light and so we don't need the Son anymore. And life is Je- with Jesus is one of ups and downs, but it ends with a great wedding feast. I shouldn't say end. Life as we know it ends with a great wedding feast, but it really just starts. It's like the end, the end of what we know, but it's inviting us into what God has for us. And it starts, like I said, around a table with food, and I'm going to be there, and I hope that you're going to be there. If you're not sure, do that work within yourself. Ask God. If you want somebody to pray for you, if you're not sure, and you want somebody to pray for you to that end, we have a ministry team up here with Pam and Michael and Deborah this morning. but it's gonna be the greatest thing. And then all this talk of fasting, you don't have to think about it anymore. All this thought of, I need this and I need this to be happy, I need this to be happy, that'll all fade away because you'll be looking at Jesus. And so this morning, We're going to feast together. I'm going to have Lloyd and Michael bring the communion elements. We're going to take from the the Lord's table this morning. Um, As as the, the plates get passed around, you'll take a piece of of bread, as it were, and you'll take a cup of the juice. And when you get it, just hold on to it and we'll all come back together and we'll take together. But as I talk about fasting, this is how we feast together this morning. So that we take the, the body of Jesus, take the blood of Jesus, and it's not, it doesn't transform into body, the actual body and blood. But there is something, there is something that happens spiritually when we take of this. It's more than just a a memorial. It's more than just a remembrance because he's there. He's in it. I'm gonna read to you out of the, the Didache, which I referenced earlier, that they would, pray um, before 
they took the Lord's Supper. It says, now concerning the thanksgiving, thus give thanks. First concerning the cup. We thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. And concerning the broken bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills and was gathered together and became one, so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. It's a unity with the church together, and it's an experience of the presence of God. So I'm going to have uh, the other two deacons who I asked, Michael, Lloyd, Jeff. We're, we're going we're gonna to pass the plates, and, and as you, uh, it, this is for people who have made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. This is for those who have put their trust in him. The Bible actually warns against if you haven't put your faith and your trust in Jesus, it warns. It says, don't do this. Don't do it. There's consequences for doing it. And then Paul says, so examine yourself and make sure. And then once you've examined yourself, then eat. So as it's getting passed out, just begin the, that, that part of self-examination then eat. And so,
stand with me as we take for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's take together In the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the covenant is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's take together Lord I thank you that we proclaim Every time we do that, we proclaim that you are coming back. So as the band comes up, Lord, I pray that we would ask ourselves, here's how I want you to think this morning. Jesus came to be like you so that you can one day be like him. Do you believe that? Can you live in that? Second question, do you need to start fasting? You've never fasted and you want to know how on your way out on the connect wall. I printed out what I give to people to have them start think when they start thinking about fasting, things to think about. But do you need to start fasting as a regular discipline or as, or do you have something pressing in your life that you want your voice to be heard on high? And then just some self-examination. Where is excess taken over your celebration of Jesus' birth? Where do you have so much that it's blinded you to who Jesus is? and what he's done and what he wants to continue to do. Where has that taken over? God, as we think and reflect, as we self-examine, Father, I pray that we do so knowing that we are coming before a God who forgives, that we are coming to a God who meets us with his presence and with his goodness that we are coming to a God who sent his son to be among us so that he, he could live here, identify with us, give us the Holy Spirit as he leaves so we could live knowing you, knowing and entering into the holiest of holy places, which is the very presence of God because of the way that Jesus made that it's, it's not something that's far off, but we can walk in because of Jesus. So Spirit, as we sing, I pray that you would do the work in everybody here, everybody under the sound of my voice, that you would do the work in their hearts right now that would cause us to set aside the things that we've put as 
as our goals and as uh, the things that bring us contentment, that we would set those things aside and pursue and look at only you and only what you have for us. That it's not merely just words of a song or it's not merely just thoughts that we have, but that we would be radically transformed by the presence of your spirit in us. Father, meet with us. Father, draw us close to you. Draw us near. And as we sing, Lord, let the praise and the sound be lifted up to you. Let it be a sweet sound in your ears, a sweet smell of sacrifice. Jesus' name. Amen.
for us to do, not out of religious duty, Father, not out of, not out of feeling obligated, but out of deep and sincere love for you. So Lord, I pray that, that you would speak to us even as we leave, speak to us, tell us those places that you want to trim us up. Lord, where you want to take away the excess, where you want us to, to re-put our, uh, refocus our, our contentment and our joy on you. And Father, above everything else, let us believe the words that you say and not words that others say about us. Thank you for making us sons and daughters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning.